0: Howdy, folks. This is the Words of Truth from the Scriptures podcast. I'm Brian Yeager. I'm glad you're listening to this. Today, we're going to be talking about 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 14 through 16. If you are a regular listener to the podcast, you know I've been having some on and off allergy issues of late. Unfortunately, that's the case, again, as I come to record this podcast So I ask that you bear with me if I start to sniffle or sneeze, I will try my best not to do so into the microphone, but it is time to record and here we go. We have been talking about how the scattered Gentile Christians addressed in this first Peter letter are looking forward to and hope of the return of Christ and salvation to come at that point in time and we have talked about various things and leading up into this lesson and this lesson continues with the fact that when the Lord returns there are some expectations that they're going to be obedient children that they're not going to be acting the way that they used to act in their former conduct that they're going to be holy because the Lord is holy. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. When Christ returns, those who are not obeying him, that's not good news for them. That's where the good news for us who are obedient becomes bad news to those who are not. And 2 Thessalonians 1, 7 through 12, the context here is the Christians in Thessalonica were facing persecution So to them it was said to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Now notice this. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Wherefore, also we pray always for you, that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power, that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. For us who are obedient, We look forward to the coming of Christ. For those who are not, destruction is in their future. Jesus is the source of salvation. For who? In Hebrews 5 8 9, though he were a son, speaking contextually about the high priest Jesus Christ, the text says, Yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him. The author, the source of salvation. But those that reject him and reject his word, you said in John 12, 48, he that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that last day. Being able to look forward to Christ coming down and returning to, to judge, and when I say coming down, I mean from heaven, but he's not actually going to come to earth. He's not going to reside on earth. There's going to be the bodily resurrection and the raising up to meet him in the air, first Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But when he returns, when he comes, those who are prepared. In Luke chapter 12, 35 through 48, Jesus teaches his followers, let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. Yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, that he may open they may open up to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Very last unto you, that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that if the good men of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not suffered his house to be broken through. Be therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when you think not. Then Peter said unto him, Lord, speaketh thou this parable unto us, or even to all? And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward? whom His Lord shall make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that it will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming, as she began to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink and be drunken, Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, at an hour which he is not aware, and cut him asunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant, which knew his Lord's will, and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him so much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him will they ask the more. So it's about preparation. And Jesus gave, gave this parable, an explanation of this parable about a wise steward. When his master comes, he expects you to be doing what he appointed you to do before he left. The same as with Christ. And like we see in Matthew 25, 14 through 30 in the parable of the talents, we see here as well, to whom he's given much ability, much accountability follows with the expectations upon his return. If you're able to do this much more than this person over here, then this much more is expected out of you. The... Great thing about that is he doesn't expect more out of anybody than what they are personally, individually able to do. But take what you're able to do and do it and do it well. Preparations for our Lord's returns come down to how you're living your life. In Romans 13, 11 through 14, it says that knowing that the time is now high time to awake out of sleep for now is our salvation nearer than we believe. The night is far spent; the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off works of darkness; let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfil the lust thereof. How are you living? Are you living in a manner that is worthy of the teaching of the gospel? That's the the point in Philippians one twenty seven where Paul tells the saints in Philippi, only let your conversation be as becometh the gospel of Christ. That word becometh means in a worthy manner of. So only let your conversation be as it is in a worthy manner of or becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. How are you conducting your life on a daily basis? If our Lord, in whose kingdom you are a servant, were to come today, will he find you so doing as he expects of you? Now, the Christians who are addressed here, First Peter one 14 through 14-16 says, As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, For I am holy. These Christians know that obedience is expected of them. All Christians know that. If you've been taught the gospel, you've been taught that the expectation is to obey the Lord. And not just initially when you first hear the gospel, but continually. These Christians, when this letter opened up, the first two verses says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ grace unto you and peace be multiplied. Yes, they have been taught. They are being taught and again reminded you're to be obedient. Obedience, thinking back to what we read in Luke 12, 35 through 48 uh, about being servants, obedience declares who you serve. In Romans 6, 16, know ye not to whom you yield yourself servants to obey his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin and a death or of obedience unto righteousness. We will later look at some passages when we talk about being children. What, both are the same point. We're going to look at different passages in different contexts with different wording But both at the same point, I'm the servant of God when I do his will. I'm a child of God when I do his will. Or I'm a servant of Satan. Here's the two, right? Here's the two that are presented us in the scriptures that when we look at obedience to God and we talk about obeying the gospel, um, when Paul was uh, kind of, Giving his defense, not kind of he was giving his defense, and he made a point about his preaching of the gospel in Acts twenty six eighteen. How he after he talked about how he was delivered from the people to the Gentiles in verse seventeen, he said to open their eyes, turn them from darkness to light, from the power or the authority rather of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith. That is in me. I'm either the servant of God or the servant of the devil. I'm either a child of God or a child of the devil. And that's why we see these things uh, put forth here as obedient children. Well, obedience tells who I love. Passages that you are likely familiar with John 14, 15, Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, keep my commandments. 1 John 5, 2, and 3, By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. Where this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous, His commandments are not burdensome, is the point. Our relationship comes down to obedience. And we're going to talk about this when when we talk about being holy as He is holy. Am I showing the characteristics of God? Or am I showing the characteristics of, of Satan in my conduct, because by my fruit you know me. Matthew seven, fifteen through twenty. You can see people through who they through what they do and what that produces. In John 14, 21 through 24, it says He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me should be loved by my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Jesus said unto him, not a Lord how is it that thou will manifest thyself unto us and not unto the world? Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not, keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which sent me. It comes down to, you want a relationship with God? Obey the Lord. Then you have a relationship with the Father and the Son. 2 John verse 9 says, Whosoever transgresseth, and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. It just doesn't get clearer than that. The children aspect. As obedient children, this is the relationship. Ephesians 5.1 says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children. For anyone to have God as their father. It's about leaving your past behind which is part of our text in our study today, right? And 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 through chapter 7 verse 1. This was written to the Corinthians, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers: for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? what communion hath light with darkness? what concord hath Christ with Belial? what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing that I will receive you and will be a father unto you. And you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Seven one says, having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness and the fear of God. That's kind of jumping forward in our lesson a little bit, but it's all tied together. If I walk and act and behave as my father, I'm going to be holy. I'm going to perfect holiness. I'm going to behave myself like him. I'm not going to be joined to that which is in opposition to my Father. I'm going to be loyal, faithful to him. Remember that. Loyal, faithful. Your actions establish who your father is. Like we talked about from Romans 6.17, that obedience declares who you're a servant of. Well, also declares who your father is. In 1 John 2, verse 29 through 310. Notice this reading. I, I love this. We we studied through this. Oh, when was it? Uh here in El Paso, I think it was July and August. Um, we were looking at First John 2:29 through 3:10, if I remember correctly, and our classes had great discussions, good stuff. We got a lot of material online on it, if you want to look it up. But First John 2:29 through 3:10 says, "If you know that He is righteous, you know that everyone that doeth righteousness is born of Him. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God." Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Whosoever committeth sin transgresses also the law, for sin is the transgression of the law. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Whosoever abideth in him sinneth not, whosoever sinneth hath not seen him. "'Neither know him. "'Little children, let no man deceive you. "'He that doeth righteousness is righteous, "'even as he is righteous. "'He that committeth sin is of the devil, "'for the devil sinneth from the beginning. "'For this purpose the Son of God was manifested "'that he might destroy the works of the devil. "'Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, "'for his seed remaineth in him, "'and he cannot sin because he is born of God. "'In this the children of God are manifest, "'and the children of the devil.' whosoever doeth not righteousness is not of god neither he that loveth not his brother i mean that is you don't need any explanation of that text you do righteousness you're of god you commit sin you're of the devil and it's pointed out in multiple different phrases teaching the same thing as a contrasting point ephesians 5:6 you know we talk about ephesians 5:1 Few moments ago. Be therefore followers of God's dear children. In that context, verse six says, Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Think about the clear contrast. The scriptures aren't hard to understand when kept in context, and and when you take them in the greater context of the Word of God. Well, the greater context of the Word of God it shows us. That who you follow makes you that person's disciple or child. When Paul taught Timothy or Titus, he was they were his sons in the faith. Paul said, be followers of me, even as I am of Christ. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1. When you are following Paul, you're following Jesus. So who's leading the line? Who's up in the front? Who, somebody's taught you something. Are they teaching you what our Lord and ultimately our Father's will is, making you children of God? Or are they teaching, is that teacher teaching you something that if you look to the head of the line, Satan is standing there? Which one is it? That's who, child, you are. Our God speaks to us. We pray to him in terms of father and children. Our Father who art in heaven, right? We we, we pray that, Matthew 6 9. Why? Jesus taught that. We see that consistently through the scriptures. Why? Because if you are a Christian, God is your father. Even in the perspective of correction, the father son child relationship is spoken. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 to 11, it says, You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye ignore chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, that is, if you don't accept correction, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, We have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For verily of a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised. Thereby Looking at a father The father's corrective ways is how we look at our father We are corrected through his word We repent we're converted. We accept that chastisement Why because your father he's the father Well as obedient children then the statement goes, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust and your ignorance, right? So you've been converted to Christ. You're no longer living after the manner of your sinful past. To the Ephesians in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, and the vanity of their mind having the understanding doctrine being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ. It so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful lust. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I mean, that that's just that's just a greater commentary on 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, isn't it? Don't walk like other Gentiles. Don't be vain in your mind. Don't go back and do the opposite of what you learned in Christ. Put off that old conduct, the old man that was corrupt through deceitful lust. You think differently. You act differently. You're after God now. You've been created in righteousness and true holiness. It's like when people sometimes say, oh, so you think that you are holy. No, God made you holy. The blood of Christ washed you from all your sins if you obeyed the gospel, Revelation 1 and verse 5. That means you're pure, pure, you're holy, you're perfect, you're sinless, you're complete. All these terms we see in the Bible, that is the work of God. You didn't make yourself clean and holy. You just have to continue to be that way. You have to look to yourself, like as we have talked about and are going to talk about more going forward, and ask: Is my conduct in a worthy manner of the gospel? You're not supposed to go back and act like the person that you used to be. In Colossians, the first chapter, verses 12 through 23, and here we We get to put together a a context that's kind of parallel in some ways to Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, but then also grab some points uh, that bring everything together that we are talking about. The text in Colossians 1, 12 through 23 says, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of saints and light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. See, you didn't do that yourself. When you obey the gospel, you come, you do your part, but then God's part delivering you from the power of darkness, then translated us in the kingdom of his dear son, in whom we have redemption through his blood. So back to how are you washed? How are you made holy? Through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, All things are created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father, again, we're talking about relationship, right? That in him should all fullness dwell, having made peace through the blood of, of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be in earth or things in heaven. Now notice, and you that were sometimes alienated, and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Because as we've been talking about in this lesson, you're a servant based on what you do, either to God or Satan. You're a son or a daughter based on what you do of God or Satan. So enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death present you holy and unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight, if you continue in the faith. So you see, his part, he made you holy and unblameable. But then, your part, if ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which you have heard, which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. That's perfect. That's wonderful. Later in this lesson, and at this great commentary, it's like this... This is one of these lessons where the scriptures preach themselves, right? I, I don't know that that's anything confusing there. In Colossians 3, 5 through 10, not patterning yourself after the former, it says, "...mortify therefore your members, which are upon earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, and the which..." You also walked sometime when you lived in them. But now put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you've put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. The old man is supposed to be in the past, put to death, done, left behind in the waters of baptism. Think about the language in Romans 6, 3 through 12. No, you not. So many of us were baptized in Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. So you've come up. You are now in newness of life. The text goes on. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. The old man's dead. He's drowned. He's in the water. The new man rises up, washed by the blood of Christ. We're redeemed. We're forgiven, having received the forgiveness of sins. Taken like we read in Colossians 1:12 through 23. Taken from the power of darkness. Translated into the kingdom of his dear son. We've switched teams. We have a new head, Christ. We have a, a new father, God. Now we talk about Ignorance. A lot of us can look back in our worldly sinful lives and say, How stupid was I? The ignorance of the past. God doesn't excuse that. You know, one of the things that people miss when they're studying the Bible, and this is just it just the verse we're about to look at is so important in the grand scheme of studying the scriptures. People look back at the Old Testament and they'll, they'll look at David, for example and they'll say, well, David committed adultery with Bathsheba. He, he had uh, her husband Uriah uh, put to death, and David did all these terrible things, but God forgave him, and God allowed him to continue to be a king in Israel, and all of that is a very oversimplified understanding of the Scriptures. A lot of what God did with David and didn't do Uh, with David comes down to God had made a promise that in David, uh, through David, that Christ would come and God had a promise to uphold. And when you're reading 2 Samuel chapters 11 and 12, and you see David's sin, and you see the way God dealt with that, the the child uh, dying and so forth, but David still gets the girl. And sometimes people look at that and they say, see, Look at the mercy of God. Yeah, but you need to understand the mercy of God based on this verse, Acts 17, 30. Context is about idolatry. The times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. God didn't destroy Israel and individuals within Israel many times. For one reason, he made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that through their seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's why because God keeps covenant. But now, though you can look back in the Old Testament and say, wow, look at the mercy of God. Yes, but you must understand God's mercy in those accounts. The way Acts 1730 ex- describes it. Put all those scriptures together. Now commands all men everywhere to repent. The expectation has always been to be holy for God is holy. But in times past, he winked at their ignorance. But now, that shows that there is a change in God's judgment. Later in this lesson, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. What's God expect now? That you, as strangers and pilgrims on earth, all Christians are, we're not citizens of the earth; we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Philippians 3:20. Have your conduct honest. Abstain from fleshly lust. Look when you put these things together, the old law was a law of bondage. It it was so very restrictive to keep them separated. It was a middle wall of partition, uh, separating Jew and Gentile, Ephesians 2, 11 through 17. Among many other things, the law of Moses was put in place because of transgression, to hold accountability, all kinds of different things that you could talk about the law of Moses. But it was a law of bondage. The law of Christ is called the perfect law of liberty, James 1, and two twelve. We read earlier in 1 John 5, 2 and 3, that the commandments of our Lord are not burdensome. The old law was, when you look back at all the ceremonies and festivals, all the restrictions that the children of Israel had to have, how they had the tabernacle before the temple and all that went into transporting it and setting it up according to God's pattern... All these instructions given to the Levites, the children of Israel to follow thereafter and giving of sacrifices, everything else. So complicated. I'm so thankful we're not under the law of Moses. If, if, if you ever think the law of Christ is difficult, go read the book of Leviticus. You'll, you'll, you'll be scratching your head going, wow, 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 right? What we look at, the perfect law of liberty, there's no reason for us to fall short. It's not that complicated. Following the commandments of our Lord are more beneficial to you physically than they are restrictive to you spiritually. I mean, think about it. We're not supposed to partake in alcohol, whether it's socially or otherwise, banqueting, etc. 1 Peter 4, 3-5. through We're going to get to those texts in this lesson. How does that benefit you? Does alcohol help you or hurt you? We have a brother in Christ here that works at a local hospital, and sometimes when when we're discussing alcohol in class, you know he'll he'll talk about you know what it looks like when people are are yellow. Their liver is failing because of years of consumption of alcohol, and really how there's just very limited that can be done uh, to help them. Beyond that. Watch the news. How many people die because of alcohol-related accidents and different things, right? God's not saying don't drink alcohol because it somehow affects Him. No. He's given you that instruction because it affects you. Adultery or other forms of fornication, same thing, right? What happens if you're faithful to one spouse? You don't have illegitimate children running around. You don't have sexually transmitted disease all these different things. Who's that benefit you? uh, Who's that benefit? You or God? doesn't benefit God. It benefits you. God puts in place things under the new covenant to help you live a good and better life on earth, and then ultimately to prove to him that when you're in heaven, you know how not to be uh, a rebel. Not that difficult, right? Live as Christians. The faithful need to do that. We need to remember who we are and whose we are. In Philippians 2, 14 through 16, do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Be blameless, be harmless. You're in a world full of perverseness, of wrongdoing. Shine as a light. And Titus 2. You know what? I want you to think about Titus 2, 11 through 3, 8. Without my explanation or anything else, just listen to this. Titus 2, 11 through 3, 8. It says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust." We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself unto himself, a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to do every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. By the washing of regeneration, the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. We just need to live as God's children. The grace of God teaches us how to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world not to act like we did in the past but to act like people who have been purchased who have been redeemed from all iniquity to behave not foolishly and disobediently like our past this is what paul told titus and evangelists to go and teach go and teach these things and we see peter doing that here in this context that we're studying right now teaching these scattered saints to live not according to their former sinful ways, but to be obedient children. Then, but as he which hath called you is holy. We will talk about in 1 Peter 5.10, the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. After you've suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. Called of the Father by the Son. These people who this epistle was written to being Gentiles. We talked about this when we opened this letter. It's important that they realize that the calling is not just to the Jews. Romans nine twenty four, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. That's important. That's important because as we know and we've been talking about, and I want to keep reminding you, these Christians who are Gentiles did not in times past have hope because of Christ. The law of Moses was that middle wall of partition. In first Peter 2, 9 and 10, we talk about this, we talk about this. I want you to remember it. It says you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which hath obtained mercy, but now which hath not obtained mercy, but now have obtain mercy so you didn't have this in the past in the past you lived like you didn't have it now you do he which has called you is holy that's the standard before we move on remember that the calling is through the gospel We covered this earlier, so I won't spend a lot of time on this. We covered it in our earlier lessons of this epistle. But just as a reminder, 2 Thessalonians 2, 13 and 14, we're bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it was not a supernatural direct calling like some would misunderstand scriptures and think, is a calling through the gospel. So back to point. He is holy. We see that throughout both the Old and the New Testaments, right? In Psalm 99, five verses there that we're going to talk about, one through five. "'The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. The Lord is great in Zion. He is high above all the people.'" Let them praise thy great and terrible name, for it is holy. Speaking of his name. The king's strength also loveth judgment. Thou doest, or thou dost establish equity. Thou executest judgment and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt ye the Lord our God and worship at his footstool, for he is holy. In Isaiah 54, 5, Thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the earth, the uh, the God of the whole earth, shall he be called. So when we look at him, when we look at our maker, the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, he is the Holy One of Psalm 99, one through five. In Revelation 4, eight, John has a vision where he's seeing into heaven And there are four beasts, each of them had six wings about him. Their eyes within, they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. He is holy. His word is pure. Every word of God is pure. He's a shield in them that put their trust in him. Proverbs 30 and verse 5. Sorry, I didn't give you the verse. Those of you who are taking notes, let let me back up. Proverbs 30, verse 5 says, Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in Him. So He's holy. His words are pure. His way is perfect, equal, and right. Notice this, Psalm eighteen thirty. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a buckler to all them that trust in Him. In Ezekiel 18, 25 through 32. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not equal. Here now, O house of Israel, is not my way equal? Are not your ways unequal? When a righteous man turneth away from his righteousness, and committeth iniquity, and dieth him, for his iniquity that he hath done, he shall die. Again, when the wicked man turneth away from his wickedness, he hath committed, and doeth that which is lawful and right, he shall save his soul alive. Because he considereth, and turneth away from all his transgressions he hath committed, he shall surely live, he shall not die. Yet saith the house of Israel, the way of the Lord is not equal. O house of Israel, are not my ways equal? Are not your ways unequal? Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel. Everyone according to his ways, saith the Lord God. Repent and turn yourselves from all your transgressions so iniqual that he shall not be a ruin. Cast away from you all your transgressions wherein you've transgressed and make you a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of him that dieth, saith the Lord God. Wherefore turn yourselves And live, ye. Look, look. I'm equal. He was fair. He gave their chance to do right or wrong into their hands. He didn't predetermine it and say, "You're going to be evil, or you're going to be good." He says, "Here's free will. You choose. I want you not to perish, but I give you the choice. You do." And Hosea fourteen nine says, who is wise and shall understand these things, prudent, and he shall know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. God's way is perfect, equal, and right. Folks, he is without iniquity. Deuteronomy 32.4, he is the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment, a God of truth, and without iniquity, just and right, as is he. So, when we talk about as he which called you is holy, so be ye. Our God expects us to be holy. Our words to be pure. Our way to be perfect, equal, and right. He expects us to be without iniquity, and we will put more scriptures to that as we go on. The text says, So be ye holy in all manner of conversation, or all manner of conduct. In Luke, the first chapter, the context here, John the Baptist Uh, being born Luke 1 67 set through 75 his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Ghost and prophesied blame saying blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he hath visited and redeemed his people he hath raised up an horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spake by the mouth of his holy prophets which have seen since the world began that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all that hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, that would grant unto us that we being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. So Zacharias says to the children of Israel, it was foreplanned, the prophets foretold about the redemption to come. So that God would be served in holiness and righteousness through their entire lives. Later in this letter, 1 Peter chapter 3, I'm going to begin at verse 8 and, and go down through verse 17. And, and here's where we'll see some of the points we're talking about now brought back up. It says, Finally, be of all one mind, having compassion with one another, love his brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not "'Rendering evil for evil, or railing for railing, "'but contrawise blessing, Know that ye thereunto called "'that you should inherit a blessing. "'For he that will love life and see good days, "'let him refrain his tongue from evil, "'and his lips that they speak no God. "'Let him eschew evil and do good. "'Let him seek peace and ensue it. "'For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, "'and his ears are open unto their prayers. "'But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil.' And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? But, and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you. Be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to everyone that asks you the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ, for it is better... If the will of God be so that you suffer for well doing than for evil doing, so it's it's live above reproach. Let your words and your conduct be like we talked about earlier in this lesson in Philippians one twenty seven, in a manner worthy of the gospel. When they are persecuting and coming against you, don't repay evil with evil. Do good. We know that our prayers are hindered if we don't. God's not going to hear us if we become evildoers, and we can't excuse it and say, but they did it to us first. When we open our mouths in times of persecution, it ought to be to give an answer of the hope that lies within us with meekness and fear, not to cast stuff back on those that are speaking evil or doing evil against us, so that when they bring some charge against us, it's false, and our conduct proves such. Now, people would say, but I meant to do good. Listen, intentions don't matter. We, we talk about David. In 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 7, it came to pass when the king, this is David, sat in his house, and the Lord had given him rest about from all his enemies. So, this is a time of faithfulness that the king, that is David, said unto Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwelleth on curtains. Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in thy heart, for the Lord is with thee. So Nathan had this idea that David's faithful right now. God is blessing him right now. So whatever David does is therefore right. Well, this, this is a false syllogism. So it came to pass that night that the word of the Lord came unto Nathan saying, go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, shalt thou build me a house for me to dwell in? Whereas I have not dwelt in any house since the time that I brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, even to this day, but have walked in a tent and in a tabernacle. In all the places wherein I've walked with all the children of Israel, spake I word with any of the tribes of Israel, whom I've commanded to feed my people Israel, saying, why build you me not a house of cedar? David had good intentions. God said, I didn't ask you to do this. If David built the temple, it would have been wrong. Text goes on, God had a plan for Solomon to do it. It's not your intentions that matter. It's your conduct that matters. Listen to what Jesus taught in Matthew seven thirteen through 27. He says, Enter at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leads unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits." Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast in the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many he will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And thy name have cast out devils? And thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Do you hear that? He said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whoso heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken to a wise man which built his house upon a rock. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. The rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Folks, your intentions aren't going to save you. Act in accordance with the will of God. That will save you. In First John chapter 1, talking about fellowship between the saints and the Father and Christ, Verse five and six, this then is the message which you have heard of him declaring to you that God is a light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If you continue in the context, the context tells you to walk in light. If you are in sin, not to deny that, but to confess it, that we have an advocate, we have an an intercessor, we have somebody that goes to the Father uh, for us, first John two, one and two, then verses three and six or three through six. Hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoso keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, hereby we know that we are in him. He that saith, he abide in him, ought himself also to walk, even as he walked. Now we're going to talk more about this and as it relates to the judgment uh, next week, if all goes according to plan, when we talk about 1 Peter 1:17. But real plain and simple, it's your conduct that matters. Then, after we get past, be holy in all manner of conversation or conduct, because, so we're coming back, be holy for I am holy. Again, God is holy. Leviticus eleven forty four says, I am the Lord your God. You should therefore sanctify yourselves and shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you your, defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth on the earth. Now, this is why we talked about earlier, Acts 17, 30, in the context of idolatry. In times past, God winked at this ignorance, but now commendeth all men everywhere to repent. In times past, he continued in his covenant with Israel because he made a promise. Now, his promise etern- is eternal life unto all that obey him. All right. So we have a standard to walk according to. Does that mean that be holy is just a quote from the Old Testament? No, the standard is higher. Now, the law is easier, but the standard is higher. We are to be holy. And multiple texts in the New Testament teach that. Notice Ephesians 1, through 3-4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, According as he has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy, and without blame before him in love. Colossians three twelve. Put on therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering. First Thessalonians four one through seven. Furthermore. Then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and please God, you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any manner, because that the Lord is a vendor of all such, as we have also forewarned you and testified, for God hath not called us unto uncleanliness, but unto holiness. Hebrews 12, 14, follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. That's clear, right? But then you'll have people say, well, that doesn't mean that you can be perfect or blameless or sinless, even though we just read Ephesians 1, 3, and 4 that says that. Let me throw you some scriptures, one from the Old Testament and then several from the New, in which I'm just going to let the Word of God speak. You know, God doesn't give us suggestions, He gives us instructions. In the Old Testament, Psalm 4:4, 4, 4, stand in awe and sin not. Commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Matthew 5:48, be therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. Somebody will quickly run to the definition. That means to be complete. Whole. I think it's the Greek word teleos, if I remember correctly. Yes, that's what it means, complete and whole. But when you sin, you're no longer complete and whole. That's it. Yes. Does that mean sin no more? Yes. Look at Jesus, John 8, 1 through 11. Jesus went in the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him and sat down and taught them. And the scribes and Pharisees brought in him a woman taken in adultery. When they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. So they're saying, hey, this... She's clearly an adulterous woman. This is, the evidence is she was in the act, okay? Moses in law commanded us that she be, should be stoned, but what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him, that they might have to accuse him. Jesus stooped down with his finger, wrote on the ground as though he'd heard them not. So they continued asking him. He lifted up himself, said to him, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Now this is just him teaching consistently, You can't hypocritically judge somebody. Matthew 7, 1 through 5. So the text goes on. They which heard it, being convicted by their own conscience, went one by one, beginning at the eldest, even unto the last. Jesus was left alone, the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus had lifted up himself and saw none but the woman, he said unto the woman, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go, notice this, and sin no more. The Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, 34, context, the resurrection, looking forward to, correction being taught to the Corinthians, where there were some that were thinking there is no resurrection, didn't realize that they'd abandoned the gospel by doing so. He says to them in 1 Corinthians 15, 34, awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not knowledge of God to speak this to your shame. Multiple contexts. Are you hearing this? It's adultery. It's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Paul in a letter to the Corinthians. Paul in letter to the Ephesians. Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. Ephesians 4.26. Again, I'm sorry. I think I might have forget, forgotten to give you the verse. But be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your wrath. To Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.19. Different context. To an evangelist. About doing the work of an evangelist. So, nevertheless, the foundation of God stands sure, having this sealed. The Lord knoweth them that are His. And let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Blameless. Second Peter 3, 9-14. through 14. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as the thief in the night, in which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also, and the works therein, shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation or holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening of the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, see that you look for such things. Be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot, and blameless. Real clear. In a context that I brought up earlier, we read 1 John 2, 3, and 6, backing up two verses. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also the sins of the world. Context. Walk in light as he is in light. If you sin, confess it, and he'll uh, be faithful to forgive it. Don't act like you did nothing. If you've sinned, then you've got to come clean on that. But that's not a license to sin. The commandment in the context is not to sin. Later in, the, in this letter, 1 John five eighteen, we know whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that begotten of God and keepeth himself and that wicked one toucheth not. And as we read earlier, 1 John 2, 29, through uh, 1 John 3 and verse 10, if you commit sin, you're of the devil. You go out and you tell a lie. You go out and you steal something. You forsake the assembling of the saints. You, you, you don't love your brother. You don't worship God in spirit and in truth, etc., etc. That moment that you did that, you've switched camps. You're now a child of the devil. This applies even to congregations. I had a um, Bible discussion with a fella in Arkansas back in August, uh, one of the brethren here and I and someone else were all involved in the conversation. And this guy said, uh, it's not possible for a congregation uh, to essentially be faithful. That's not the wording that he used. But um, he was basically saying all congregations are in error. And of course, I pointed out to him biblically, what about Smyrna? Go, go read Revelation 2 and, and and talk about Smyrna, verses 7 through 10. What, what about the church in Philadelphia? Go and read you know, Revelation chapter 3. Here were two out of seven congregations that were faithful to the Lord. You're saying it's impossible. What sin did the church in Jerusalem commit when they were looked to as kind of the place of answers in Acts 15? What are you talking about? You, you, you think congregations can't do right? Listen to what the Lord expects of His body, the church. Ephesians 5, 25-27 says, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Now notice, this isn't even talking about a local congregation. It's talking about the church in the sense of all of the saved. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That He might present to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that that should be holy and without blemish. Christians everywhere, collectively, holy and without blemish. Folks, that's real clear. Being holy is about being pure. That's what Strong's number 40, that word means. It's about how it applies in various different ways, like in Matthew 5 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What's that infer about those that aren't pure in heart? They won't, right? 1 Timothy one five: The end of commandment is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, of faith and unfeigned. It's not just external, but internal. Second Timothy two twenty two: Flee also youthful lust, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace. With them that call out the Lord, out, call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Our relationship with God comes from within, where there has to be purity. How we look at things. Titus one fifteen. Under the pure, all things are pure, but under them that are defiled, and unbelievable. Believing is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. Look, look. You see this real clear in the Bible. When did Adam and Eve become ashamed of their nudity? When they sinned. Have you ever thought about on Earth places where people travel and they come across a tribe and the people are walking around butt naked? Well, they haven't been taught in their culture. That nudity is wrong, or that lust is this. They don't look as the breast of a woman, of a woman, as a something to sexually desire. Those are like bottles to feed babies, <laughs> folks. It's just so easy to understand why man has to pervert it. And James one twenty six and twenty seven: If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is in vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. There it is, folks. That's all clear, isn't it? Be holy from within to your conduct without. He'll say, that's not possible. Well, you know what? Think about a marriage. Two people become united in marriage, in the contract, the agreement, the covenant of marriage. What if a man... And whatever way they got married, before a judge or whatever, whatever they did, if the man looks at the woman and says, I will be faithful at least today. I mean, I can't possibly be faithful tomorrow. You know what? Matter of fact, your, your sister is hot. I'm sitting here checking her out right now. As soon as our, our honeymoon is over, I'm going to go experience what the smell of that flower is like. What do you think? That woman... Now, I know we live in a perverted world, and this illustration might fall on its face in some, in some circles. But in general, I'm going to assume if you're listening to this podcast, you find that repulsive. Folks, if we can expect our spouses to be faithful in marriage... Why can we not understand that the Lord expects the same in our marriage to him? That that's you know, when I read out of Ephesians 5, 25 through 27, it's likening the relationship in a marriage to Christ and the church. You can't be faithful to him. He died. You, 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 you're converted. You you chose to be a follower, to forsake all, to follow him, Luke 14, 25-33. Now you can't be faithful. There are people out there that say, it's not possible not to sin. Then you look at your spouse and say, it's not possible for me to be faithful. That's what that means. That's what you're saying. Go to your job. I'm going to steal something. I won't even get through the day without stealing something because it's not possible for me to honor our employment contract. How many jobs would accept that? On your resume, top thing. I'm not perfect. I will da-da-da-da-da. Whatever area of employment you're looking in, I will do this, this, and this. I work at a restaurant. I will steal food. I will spit on people's food because it's just not possible for me to be faithful. Come on, folks. When when it comes to the Bible and the expectations of God, people lose their reasoning. If you can be faithful to a man or a woman, to an employer, to a contract you sign, it is so much the easier to be faithful to God if you truly love Him. To be faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ if you truly love Him. He expects less than most spouses do. (laughs) Come on. He's holy. You be holy. Our next study continues in, on with 1 Peter 1:17. If you call on the Father, who without respect of persons judges according to every man's work, past the time of your sojourning here in fear. Why do you need to be holy? Because we're looking at the judgment day. That's what the Lord expects when he comes by, back. And you're going to be judged based on what you do. So your conduct needs to be as becometh the gospel. Fit for the gospel in accordance with the will of the Lord. Not this. I know I'm going to fail because I'm just human. (laughs) Imagine you get on an airplane. Ladies and gentlemen, this is whatever, flight whatever. We're headed to wherever. I am your captain. I want you to know that I am just a man. I will probably crash this plane. If not, you'll luckily get to your destination. (laughs) How many people are going to stay on that flight, folks? Come on. Come on. Let's be real. Be holy as he's holy. It's not that hard. Maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking, it's impossible not to sin. I'm going to almost come close to guaranteeing you this. You've probably been taught that sin is something that it's not. Like, this would be a whole other discussion Call me up if you'd like to have it. Uh, People have been taught things like a thought enters into your mind and you've sinned. Go read James 1, 13 through 16. You can stop sin from occurring while something is in your mind. Okay? Go read James 1, 13 through 16. If you still got questions, call me up and we'll study that. One of the reasons a lot of people I've studied with think that they can't go a day without sinning is because they think when they drive down the highway and they got angry because somebody cut them off, that they've sinned. Well, we read Ephesians four twenty six: 26, be angry and sin not. Anger in itself, if controlled, is not a sin. See, a lot of people have been taught that things are sinful that aren't, and therefore have come to the false conclusion that they cannot be holy or sinless. You can. The Lord expects it. I gave you a lot of scriptures that show you that. Don't disregard them. You want to spend eternity in heaven, get your life right, let me help you. Call me up. You can visit the website, www.wordsoftruth.net. Contact me from there. I'd love to help you. It is likely that you are making obedience to God a lot harder than you need to. I'd love to show you the light because it is not the law of bondage. It's the law of liberty. We have a lot of freedom in Christ. We can enjoy life, see good days, live in peace rather than in fear. That's our lesson for today, folks. If all goes according to plan, Tuesday's podcast will be up. Uh, If the Lord doesn't return first or something else doesn't happen, I am thankful that you've listened. Until next time, I shall say goodbye. Thank you very much.